Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1299 of the Locked on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday. And today's show is myself and Glenn Willis of Peace Rehoops talking in two-part fashion. This is part one of two on Trey Young. I sort of teased this for the last couple of months, basically. Uh, Trey uh, Trey Young has been the, uh, the white whale of this podcast. I'm kidding in some ways. But Glenn and I talked a lot earlier in the summer about all kinds of players on the Hawks roster in capsule fashion. We saved Trey for the end, and it's a two-parter across uh, 1299 and episode 1300, which is dropping at the same time. So this is part one you're about to listen to. Uh, Glenn and I talking about mostly about Trey last season and what he was able to put on tape, uh, stats, all that fun stuff. And then part two is a little bit more about future-facing stuff with how he fits with Murray, etc. But uh, please subscribe to the podcast and uh, keep it locked here. Again, part two is available right now. So without further delay, here is myself and Glenn, part one on Trey Young. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. Every day. I am joined now, as I am relatively often, by my friend Glenn Willis. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you, Brad? I'm well. We're into the later form of August at this point. Uh, you know, we're still... I don't know, a month or so from media day as we're recording this. And then the Hawks kind of have a weird preseason, actually, where they have to go uh, far, far away to uh, play in Abu Dhabi against the Bucks a couple times. So kind of a weird lead up to the season that's coming. But we're still like a month away from the actual like crush of the season. And, of course, uh, I've, we've teased this for a long time. Most of our of our conversation today is going to be about Trey Young, which we were supposed to do like three months ago and just never did uh, in very on-brand fashion. And I will say just at the top here, um, Glenn was gracious enough to join me for a lot of time to talk about all the players on the Hawks roster in capsule fashion. And we held Trey to the very end. By the way, those are still available to listen to and watch right now in your podcast player of choice. So I recommend that. But we held Trey to the very end knowing full well that not a whole lot would change with Trey, but I will say, with the Dejounte Murray piece, we kind of got lucky because a little not not that anything, not that Trey has changed, but the situation has changed considerably. We'll, t- we'll touch on that as well. Um, but before we get to that, I, I want to know kind of where your head is with, with the Hawks. Obviously, it's been a little bit since you've talked with me in this form. Not a whole, not, not a lot has changed. You know, they kind of added on the margins. Trent Forrest was the most recent transaction, but uh, how are we feeling here in late August? Yeah, it's it's funny. I I don't pay nearly as much attention to sort of betting lines and over unders and things like that. But the result of my kind of casually looking through what those are and what I I might bet. I I think probably the last six years I've I've wagered one or two on overs. <laughs> I just happen to be somewhere where it's legal to do that. But I mean, they seem to be nailing kind of the Hawks. I think kind of median outcome that I expect is that. 45 to 47 kind of win range uh, as they're currently constructed. Um, there are some things that they could do to potentially kind of push themselves up higher. Um, they have built a lot more kind of defensive depth on the second unit, and then they're kind of better in bench depth as well. It's a more defensive oriented group. Uh, how will that uh, kind of offset the losses that uh, are on, on the offensive side? That That's to me the kind of the really big variable uh, taking a broad view of the roster. So, that's interesting to me, um, but I, I continue to be concerned about them not really having a third point guard behind Trey and, and DeJounte. I don't think that's ideal at all. I don't view Aaron Holiday as a point guard uh, at all. Um, and But, you know, 
um, there's still time to potentially kind of make a, a move on the margin to, to find someone that could come in and uh, give them some minutes uh, there. I think it's uh, really, really important that they do that. Um, but a lot of times when you're looking at that uh, level of your roster depth, when teams cut from 20, 20 to 15 right ahead of the season, so you know, really um, viable guys can kind of come free. So, you know, I, I'm going to just kind of wait and see if, they're, if that's something that they add. Um, so the big, the big questions are sort of point guard depth behind trade to job day because you expect them to play on the court a lot together, even if they set up for uh, staggering those two quite a bit. Also, and then the power forward depth, you know, how does that get worked out? How much does Hunter play there? How much does Jalen play this year? Um, how, how much does AJ play this year, and how does that affect sort of the wing slash power forward kind of position rotation? That's a very ambiguous thing for me to kind of try to get my head around right now. So, um, you know, I, they're going to be a fun team, I think, again, but those are the things that I'm kind of keeping my eye on to see if I feel like they might push up towards where I see them as a viable, say, 50 win team, or if they kind of stay more in that mid 40s range. That's kind of how I'm feeling right now. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to touch on a lot of stuff as well as preseason gets going and training camp gets going. And uh, we kind of had that um, that nice little respite last week when the schedule came out just for some free content along the way. I know our friend Grand Chapel always does a nice schedule breakdown for Peachtree Hoops that was uh, good to sort of sift through. I talked about my kind of top 10, 15 games I'm looking for. Um, I'm not going to make you do that, Glenn, uh, especially because we could spend uh, half the show, of course, on DeJounte Murray and Paulo Boncaro. Uh, in the second game of the season, <laughs> so I'm, 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 actually, I'm at Seattle, so you know, I yeah, right, there's right been a lot of a lot of pro am actually out here, but I have I've accessed none of it. I was uh, I was actually <laughs> out, of, out of town when Trey and JC came through, and I don't I didn't know anything about the the Jotham Paulo Paulo uh, thing until after it happened. I mean, LeBron was here. Yesterday. They seemingly made up also. Apparently, uh, at least there was one video of DeJounte and Paolo kind of looking like they were okay on the court uh, yesterday or the day before. I was recording this over the weekend. So I think our national nightmare is over on that front, but we'll see. Oh, my stress level can go down yeah. from zero, 0. 0.5 to 0. 0.3 because I did not get spun up about that. If there's anything people want to hear from me and you, it's talk about pro and basketball. So, no, we can <laughs> we can move on from there, but I figured we'd start there. And the, and the schedule, I will say, I said this a little bit before, but in case we have people that are listening to this podcast that were not listening to the last couple, it's relatively favorable. Like, there's always so much you can change about an NBA schedule. Like, there are little things you can kind of tweak on the margins, road trips, when the West Coast trips are, also, like, who you don't play in the East four times versus three. And like all those factors are like kind of kind to the Hawks on paper this this Agreed. time around, which is which is nice. I mean, that might only be worth like one win over the course of the season, maybe something like that. But it's better than having a bad schedule. So like if you're looking on the margins, and the, you mentioned the the win totals and stuff like that, I know our friends at Battle Line are like in the 46 range or something like that. And um, you know, I've kind of been not not surprised, but it seems like there's a little bit of like negative push. I'm someone who looks at the betting markets quite a bit. Um, the Hawks number has, has come down a few different places. And I was like, kind of not surprised, but a little bit surprised by that. Just like, okay. I thought, you know, typically a team that kind of runs it back and adds a high profile player, you're gonna get that little bump. You know, I know Hawks fans are expecting a lot more from the Hawks than they had last year, which I understand when you add Murray, et cetera, but uh, not so much nationally. There's not, there's nothing so much more buzz. So I'm interested to see if that like comes around and they, they do have that showcase at the beginning of the preseason with the trip to the UAE to play the Bucks. Of course, the chance from two years ago, a little bit of uh, more high profile there, but aside from DeJounte getting uh, some funny headlines along the uh, program circuit, not a whole lot going on like national buzz wise. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about Trey obviously here in a bit. We are. Um, the, 
the the big picture thing is like how much could they elevate their defense with the roster changes they made that that to me will impact either their win outcome is do they can they push towards league average right oh yeah uh, could they somehow get a little ahead of that that seems unrealistic but not completely impossible or are they going to stay in that bottom 10 that to me is the difference between say a 43 win team and a 48 or 49 win team or if you could push even higher maybe getting to 50 51 or something like that so um it's going to be interesting to see you know how much switching they do with this group how much drop they stay stick with or go away from you know so though you know that's where my head goes and stuff like that and that's what i'll be kind of paying attention to early in the season is how are they setting up to potentially kind of push themselves up towards the middle of the pack. If they can get to within range of league average, I think 48, 49 wins is is pretty realistic. If they stay at that bottom 10, I think it's next to impossible to get past about 45 or so. Makes sense to me, and we'll touch on that, of course, as we get going here with Trey. Before we get to our Trey Young deep dive, a word from our sponsors on the show today. Today's show is brought to you by Rocket Money. Are you sick or managing your finances with buggy spreadsheets, or do you have an inbox that's overflowing with bills, or you're simply afraid to check your actual bank statement? If any of those actually apply to you right now, it's time to take back control of your financial life with Rocket Money, which is formerly Truebill, our favorite financial app. So why did Truebill change its name to Rocket Money? We'll tell you. Truebill is now backed by Rocket Companies and has grown from the bill management app into a full-on personal finance empowerment tool that helps more than 3.4 million people with budgeting, lowering bills, canceling prescriptions, and much more. That saves members of Truebill and now Rocket Money on average $700 per year. And with all of that comes the next evolution in Truebill's story, of course, and that is a new name. Bottom line, Rocket Money is everything that we already loved about Truebill with a fresh look and a fresh feel. Start canceling those unused or unwanted subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA or download the app from the Apple Store or the Google Play Store at this point in time. One more time, that is rocketmoney.com slash LockedOnNBA. All right, Glenn, let us discuss Trey Young, what we're all here for at this stage. And uh, clearly we all re- recognize this. He is very good. Uh, last year, I think, I don't know if you agree with me on this. I, th- I think you probably do. But I think last year he individually was arguably the best he's ever been. And I'm not sure people really noticed that because of the Hawks' struggles throughout the season. In fact, they had to kind of get hot late to even get into the play-in, et cetera. But, you know, individually, we can go through the numbers and stuff like that. But uh, broadly speaking, I want to know what you, what, what you kind of thought of Trey's performance last year. We'll sort of dive in from there. But personally, for me, I thought he was pretty awesome throughout the season. And uh, kind of in this, kind of in the ways you'd expect. But still, like, you can certainly argue it was best that he's actually ever been individually. Totally agree. I think it was his best season. He uh, keeps getting better every year. He adds to his game every year. Uh, you know, um, I don't think there's any uh, kind of argument about his work ethic and, and how, you know, how much he, he works on his game and all of that. What's I think most impressive to me is that his workload um, got the mix of what he was doing got a lot harder last year as opposed to defenses stopped dropping uh, against him um, and started they started switching and trapping and, and really kind of bringing more uh, defensive presence up the, the floor he had to deal with. Um, I, 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 this morning as I was prepping, I was like, oh, I wrote his play, uh, season review for P3 Hoops. The, the felt long, like it was long like ago, yeah. Six months ago. But I, I, a couple of things I noted there was that his, um, his workload in isolation almost tripled, 293% increase. Wow. Um, and so that tells you a ton. Um, he, he was generated more three point attempts off the dribble than any other player in the league. Um, and he was one of the best catch and shoot uh, players in the league. So when you kind of take a look at the fact that 
so much of his work came in isolation and for a guy his his size it's pretty crazy like how um viable that was now when you look at a team that's second in the league in offense and you look at the offensive rating on the cumulative set of possessions that he was up you know working in isolation that's that's about 10 points lower than their normal kind of offensive rating but when you know, your expectations are out what, what one can get in in isolation is is a bit lower but so with with the fact that he chewed up drop coverage his first three seasons in the league right um that uh, incrementally disappeared um across this past season so a lot of the stuff that wasn't there he seems to have anticipated that to some degree because he worked so much on his mid-range he talked openly across the whole season with the media that that was a focus for him last off season and so for him to run it back with these uh, changes and still produce the uh, overall production and efficiency that he did is pretty pretty wild, and I think there's not that many players that could do that. Oh, for sure, and I think that we'll kind of save us to the end. But there's a lot to talk about, like how he how his game might change with the new roster around him, mostly Murray, and how the impact of that is. But as far as like last season is concerned, I mean you can't fake the uptick that he did across the board. You mentioned those specialized numbers with regard to isolations and catch and shoot stuff, but even just like the raw numbers, like he averaged 28.4 points, 9.7 assists per game, uh, led the league, of course, in total points, total assists. Like those numbers are just stand on their own. Like you cannot fake leading the entire league in total points, total assists. Like you have to be really good in order to do that. Uh, also, but even efficiency-wise, like, he was the best he's ever been across the board. Uh, he had the best field goal percentage of his career, best three-point percentage of his career, uh, two-point percentage, free-throw percentage, EFG, true shooting. All of that stuff was the best of his career all the way across the board. He also took more threes last year. It was not a career high in that, but after a little bit of uh, something, at least I worried about a touch the year before when there was a lot of talk about him taking less threes. Um, he took more last year, not quite to the level of the, of two years ago, but still plenty of eight, eight per game. That's obviously quite a bit. And then um, also uh, hilariously, now in retrospect, he was fourth in the NBA in total free throw attempts last year. Um, you and I are old enough to remember the panic about the rule changes and uh, how, it was, how he was going to never get, be able to get to the line anymore. Uh, he got to the line a little bit less than he did previously, but when you're fourth in the NBA in total free throw attempts, I think that's not going to be a problem for you moving on from here. Uh, right. Also, like, uh, led the league in assist rate. That's another thing that he's uh, obviously been doing for a while, but was number one in the league there, a career-best turnover rate. He had usage rates that were sky high. I, we could probably come back to, like, the advanced stuff, but, like, it really is true. Like, even in just, like, the regular box score and, like, slightly advanced numbers, how good he was. And, again, like, I think it got kind of overlooked because it wasn't quite the same, like, counting stats as, the, as two years before that. And the Hawks weren't quite as good, but you know, that was not because of him on offense. Like we, we could argue about whether he was like used perfectly in the system, which I guess we probably can do on this show, but like him individually, the way he produced is like kind of a bubble approach. I'm not sure how much you can criticize that. Yeah. I mean, totally. It's um, we think about tripling his workload in isolation, leading the league in off the dribble three point attempts, and then to elevate his efficiency numbers and, the Hawks having the lowest turnover mark in the league. In the league, I mean, yep. that's just crazy stuff, you know, for him to be able to kind of do that. You know, and when you look at, okay, well, how did this factor into wins and losses? Uh, I think I think most people would agree, like, the biggest team uh, kind of theme there was the defense. But um, 
you know, when you talk about him being fourth in the league in free throw attempts, okay, that, that, that sounds fine. But, you know, basically I think the way that plays out it not being a little higher is like the best three to five defenses in the league are just not going to foul him. Like those, that that's what it takes to be a top five defense is to be disciplined in these phases. And we saw in that Miami series, he just couldn't get to the free throw line in that series at all. And so if you're going to go beat teams with a second rate offense that were last year, you're going into a game where you're, you're facing one of the top rate defense in the league. That's going to show up, right? He's, he's going to have four free throw attempts instead of eight or 10 or something like that. That's a big factor in outcome. And then the other thing I would point to is fourth quarter and clutch, right? And, I mean, I, I have uh, every bit of confidence that he can perform late in games. Uh, he's willing to take shots. He's willing to create his shot. He's willing to kind of do all that sort of stuff. But he's a small guy, and without the help, I, you know, I think the, it's easy for one who watches the, the team game to game to see he's just generally wearing down across games because of the workload. Without the drop coverage last year, everything was uh, required more work to kind of get to what he produced, even as a wildly impressive as that was. And so for me is, what can the Hawks do? What can he do to kind of generate um, uh, kind of shots at the free throw line against top defenses? And then how can they help him save a little bit of gas for the end of games? And I think that's that's the thing that I kind of look for around where to get better, you know, and where to become a more impactful player. Uh, especially in terms of how uh, close games um, kind of work themselves out um, in going into the next season. Yeah, and I, I do want to zoom back out in a second, but while since you mentioned the playoff series, we ha- let's just take a minute now and talk about this. Uh, I know this is not the most fun topic for Hawks fans in particular, but, um, you know, and listen, we, we just sort of established how good Trey is. This is not us saying that Trey is terrible or anything like that. Trey is awesome. But uh, he was not good in that playoff series, and uh, he was not alone. Let's just be clear about that. There were a lot of Hawks issues. There were a lot of injury issues. People might forget this now, but between Bogey being kind of hobbled, Collins having two injuries, and Capella uh, being not himself in that series, the Hawks were basically down, you know, at least limited in three of their best players, plus, you know, the lack of help just overall from Trey. And you're playing a great defense. Like you said with Miami, they were really good defensively last year, et cetera. But just to kind of recap it, it's been a little while now, but he averaged 15 points a game in that series, six assists. Not like ridiculously terrible, but not his normal stuff. He had more turnovers than assists in the series. He shot 32% from the floor and took less than 14 shots per game. And just for reference, he took about 20 shots per game in the three seasons combined before that. So like just getting shots off was difficult for Trey. He was 7 of 38 from three. That's obviously terrible as well. And this is the big one. The offense, not the defense, the offense was worse with Trey on the floor in that series. Now, it's a five-game sample, but that never happens. You know, the Hawks have famously been so much better with Trey on the floor for the last basically three full seasons because the backup point guard situation has been terrible and he's been awesome and all that stuff. But if anything, maybe the defense is better when he when he sits. It was the offense that was just terrible with him on the floor in that playoff series. And uh, I said this a little bit with Nate Duncan actually recently on a podcast I did with him. But, like, I actually think that he actually got less – negative attention that I would have thought for as bad as he was in that series. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised that there wasn't like the total panic about Trey. And I think it was because of the year before that, because he had been so good in leading them to the conference finals the year before that. But the way that I put it was like, basically, you know, what if, what if that had been his first playoff exposure and he had been that bad? Can you imagine the takes Glenn? If he, if that had been his first playoff right. series, the takes would have been incredible. Uh, in, in, in a negative fashion, like I would have been like pushing back all summer long about how ridiculous these takes are. And like I was kind of, again, like pleasantly surprised that it wasn't this whole conversation because I don't think there really has to be one. To be honest, I think Trey has proven to be in this awesome player. I don't think you panic about that. But at the same time, like it was really bad 
And I think that's like, you can't just like throw it away as nothing. And maybe that's part of the reason why they went and got Murray. But what, what do you make of all that? Like just acknowledging like, yeah, it was a five game sample size, but guys with at his stature, like you can go through it. And I don't, I'm not going to do the whole thing now, but I kind of went through this after the playoff series. There are not very many like comparisons to guys having these numbers that were this bad that are as good as Trey Young is. And again, it's a, it's a high bar because he is so good, but normally guys that do what he does, like do not produce at that kind of level for even, even one playoff series. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting now that especially now that we have some distance from it, right? Yeah, kind of kind of look back and like, how do I feel about that? It's now? Like, what, <laughs> yeah, what what did I learn? What 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 can we learn kind of from that? And um, and for me, the first thing is how much do I want to call his individual performance bad? Right? Um, it, it, it wasn't good, so that, there, no. that's not deba- that's not debatable. It was not. Um, but when you think about how Miami was kind of loading up against him, and and the fact that you know, I I still think that Hawks fans underappreciate how much offensive value Clint Capella has as a partner with Trey. We've heard Trey talk about it this past offseason about how important Capella is to him and things like that. I think Capella is the most nuanced screen setter, and I think and I've said before a million times, you're probably tired of hearing me saying it. I think it was brilliant. <laughs> to trade for him because of the billion pick and rolls he'd run with Harden in Houston and how much um, kind of nuance comes with that. And, and if you know anything about Harden, he's extremely vocal about where he wants his teammates and what kind of help and when he wants help and when he wants to screen, when he doesn't want to screen and credit to Capella for just kind of soaking all that up and credit to Travis for trading for him and giving uh Trey just a phenomenal, you know, uh, kind of pick and roll partner. Well, his Clint's absence to start the series I think just opened the door more so for Miami to kind of really bring more pressure, put it in Trey's face. And so part of me is, do I, do I want to just say Trey was bad? Do I want to say Nate and the coaching staff didn't really come up with any sort of solutions for that? Fair to think also what were the solutions given how undermanned they were and how they kind of entered that series with, you know, kind of injury issues and things like that. So, um, I, you definitely don't want to throw it away because, you know, from my coaching background, I'm like, there's always something to learn. There's always something to take away. I talk about playoffs, um, especially a team's first few times into the playoffs being an opportunity for feedback loops around what can we do, what can't we do in the playoff context. And I continue to think back to, okay, let me contrast this Miami series to especially um, uh, the Philly series and the Knicks series the prior season, right? Philly has Embiid. That season, they were married to deep, deep drop coverage. That's what yep. Dips does too, right? And so uh, in some ways, like when you look back to the Knicks, like the Hawks on defense matched up really, really well because the Knicks just didn't have that much ball handling, that much shot creation, especially when Derrick Rose was on the court. And the Hawks looked better defensively than they were. Well, I think we have to say now the same is true offensively that, I mean, what kind of point of attack defenders did Philly have to throw at, at Trey, right? What kind of point of attack defenders did the Knicks have to throw at Trey? So in, I don't want to take credit away from Trey. He was phenomenal during that run. But I think if we're trying to kind of learn something, we look at like, okay, you know, deep drop Philly, deep drop New York, Bud mixed it up more with Milwaukee. And we saw that kind of impacts a little bit up and down in that series. And then we go into Spo in Miami. And he's like, I'm just going to throw three defenders above the free throw line on every single possession, give Trey absolutely no room. If if you ever caught the the mic of Spo kind of coaching from the side, from the bench, you would always hear him with Trey Springer, he was screaming, deny, 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 deny. Do not let him get a single crease 
Don't let him get anywhere. And I think that the takeaway can't be, well, Trey didn't have enough help and he couldn't do anything with what Miami had. And they, no, that's what, if they're ever going to make a run for a title, they're going to see that exact defensive scheme that Miami threw at them. The whole, the, the league is not going to go, oh, we're not going to do, no, it was wildly successful against Trey. And so for me, the major learning is the Hawks have to have a plan for when they see that, especially in the postseason. Uh, and it has to uh, be wildly different plan, a wildly different solution set than what we saw against Miami. So I, I, I personally don't get too spun up around Trey was bad. I think Trey and his coaching staff and the team in general have to kind of cultivate a plan where they can attack that kind of uh, defensive scheme and, and that kind of defensive roster and have a way to um, punish the um, amount of aggressiveness that that opposing defense is throwing, showing high on the court for against Trey. So that's more of my takeaway. I have no less confidence in Trey after that series than I did before that series. My question more is around, okay, how do you develop a roster and an offensive scheme and a plan to attack that when you see it? Because they're going to have to be able to do that to ever kind of make a true run of the title. We're on the same page, really, with that. I think that uh, I was making it even clear in the moment, and, uh, you know, we have the benefit of hindsight now as well. Like, I was not worried about Trey. It didn't really impact my opinion of him. I think that the only time that I was a little bit, like, you know, maybe not miffed or whatever you want to say it was, like, I thought he kind of gave up late in that series. But I, under- I understand why, because nothing was working. And they were they were, they were were beat, and it was kind of, like, very obvious. That it's a very natural thing in a lot of ways. I thought he kind of let go of the rope a little bit, but a lot of guys did. And they were so beat up, and I, I get all that. But I'm with you. I, I think it's more, like, necessarily maybe, maybe a little bit concerning, like, of what, they're, what the plan is the next time that happens, more so than, like, you know, you and I agreed. Like, they were never going to make a run in the playoffs last year. That was not likely. We had seen them make – we had seen them – because of, we had seen them the year before make that run, we weren't, like, closing the door on it. Because, look, if, if everything clicked, they had the upside. We kind of knew that. But it also was like people have, remember this. They were a play-in team that had been under 500 most of the season and playing the number one seed. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to win that series. Like, you're supposed to lose that series in five games. That's that's what happens. Now, they it was kind of ugly at times. But, um, yeah, I don't think my, my opinion really changed about Trey whatsoever. Uh, it's just more like, you know, just a little bit of a red flag. And I'm sure, knowing him, uh, not that we're best friends, but knowing him and following basically everything he said since he became a professional basketball player, that's going to, I'm sure, motivate him. I'm sure he did not enjoy himself in that series. And uh, not that he needs a little, a little bit of extra news because Trey famously works very hard and is very self-motivated. But I think, it, if anything, he probably heard a lot of that and uh, knows like what to, what he wants to fix and what he's going to work on. And him and Nate were talking about that um, in a personal meeting uh, between you know sort of the end of the season and the draft and all that stuff. I think they're not going to, rest on their world. I think Trey is not going to just like, you know, shrug, slip his shoulders and go back to the, go back. To, I think yeah. he'll be going go back to the drawing board. I'm pretty confident. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, and then this is that we know he wants to be the best and that's yep. not what that looks like. That's not nope. what it looks like to do that. So that he's, that's doc. He's not going to be satisfied with, Oh, well we had a rough series move on. I, I don't think that's the mindset at all. I think he's going to want to attack that. Um, with the right kind of help and support, so uh, I'm right there with you. I I can't I kind of can't wait to see it next yeah. time because I have so much confidence that he's going to have something else to throw at that. And 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 as he continues to mature, also talking with Nate, this is what I need. Talking with his teammates, this is what I need. You know, this is what I want to see, and those things. And so I, I I'm frankly looking forward to the, the next time it happens, and I, I have no doubt it'll go better. 
how much better? We'll have to see, but I, I, I have no doubt it'll go better next time. For sure. And I do want to get to the to the sort of the look ahead aspect in a second. I do want to just kind of put a point on this, though, um, from last year as we kind of wrap up last season in general. Uh, this is a guy and I think that, you know, locally people understand this. But for anybody else listening to this, like Trey was seen uh, by two of the more respected, like catch all metrics, EPM and Raptor as the number two offensive player in the NBA last year behind Ole Nikola Jokic, who is, of course, the two-time reigning MVP. That's how good Trey has been offensively. Um, and with that, even with his bad defense, and we'll come back to that, I'm sure, um, he was like a top 15 player in the league last year by those metrics, even with some of the worst defensive metrics in the league. Um, so, like, we kind of know the deal. I think it's not like breaking news to anyone. That he's an awesome offensive player that struggles, struggles on defense. But, like, it really is the case where, like, if you're – in a league that has Giannis in a league that has Embiid and everybody else that had great years last year to be like kind of in your own tier behind only Jokic and offense last year. And had that be like reasonable for people that watch, like I watched every minute he played last year. And I, that seems reasonable to me, which is crazy. Uh, that's just how good he actually is. But even with the, you know, the, the Hawks were famously not very good last year defensively and by proxy overall, they had a 117 offensive rating, which, which ran the floor last year. But like, and it wasn't like they had, uber elite personnel like they had pretty good personnel at times offensively in particular but like 117 is 117 um and our friends at clean the glass by the way had the hawks as being about almost six points better per 100 with him on the floor versus off the floor last year uh that tells the story as well and that gap was actually smaller than the year before the year before it was like 12 or whatever it was uh, when they just had nothing behind him uh last year was kind of kind of similar fate but i just wanted to at least lay that stuff out because I, I had it and it's like you know just to kind of put a point we kind of did the up and down on this on this uh, on this conversation like by the way he was awesome last year yes the team struggled in the playoffs but again reminder he was really really good last year yeah for sure um and I, for even him i I don't throw this out because of the, the trade, but like to for him to finish ahead of Luca. Luca had an incredible offensive season last year. If you even kind of look on like what Luca produces on drives, like like literally no one, not even Jock, can produce that kind of efficiency because of his size and how so big, crafty yeah. he is working down towards the rim and all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, Trey kind of made for made up for it in his pull up shooting that, that Luca doesn't have and things like that, but. For I mean, just to think about the season Luca had last year, and the trade ranked better in a lot of the uh, advanced offensive metrics tells you everything you know. It's just it's it's wild. Um, you know, I go back to thinking about my expectations when he came into the league. You know, you talk about a person who's hitting on their, like their 98, 99th per, you know percentile outcome or whatever, and maybe that was just a little bit too low or whatever. But you know, um, it's 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 crazy. Uh, to use Trey's favorite word, it's crazy. You know, it's all the numbers he puts up, the efficiency, how he keeps adding and growing and things like that. If he, he had a, you know, he, he's a historically great offensive player so far, you know, in his uh, time in the league. And, um, you know, what a treat to get to watch him all the time. Yeah, it's absolutely right. And uh, it is kind of, uh, it is kind of ironic, like how similar their profiles are. They're obviously different players uh, size-wise and approach-wise and all that stuff. But like, you know, a lot of those like, you know, structural, like blind item kind of comparisons, it ends up being Trey and Luca that have like kind of unique profiles, uh, right. as, especially usage wise. Like those, they are by far the number one and two guys in usage and like, you know, some of the more advanced metrics. I know I was talking to Josh Lloyd recently on his show on Lockdown Fantasy and he kind of had this blind item, like, you know, who's the number one player in this like catch all, like basically offense is built around 
the, the one player and it's Trey and Luca in some order and all of those right. metrics. Um, it's just really interesting after all this uh, conversation, all this time that they are, uh, you know, two of the uh, unique talents in the league. So there you go. All right, that will do it for part one between myself and Glenn. And as a reminder, part two is available right now in your podcast feed. It's episode 1300 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. We'll have more on Trey with regard to looking ahead to this season, DeJounte Murray fit, all that fun stuff. So please keep it locked here. Please subscribe to the podcast. Follow Glenn on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter as well at Locked on Hawks. And we'll see you next time.